Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. The handout reference during this presentation is available for download on the audio section of our website. Please join me in welcoming back Dr. John Cutterback. We have before us the second part of our two-part series on Forming Vicer Virtue. Um, tonight I have titled Cultivating Excellence, Hoeing the Row to Greatness. So, last week we talked a bit about what virtue is, especially the importance of forming habits and the importance that it has in our life in general. Tonight, the focus is very much going to be on how we form virtue, how we go about forming good habits. So I'm excited to be able to do some very practical things. Let me just lead back in by stepping back for a moment and just reminding you again of the great drama of life and how what we saw last week gives us a new way to understand the great drama. Will our human voluntary actions be all that they can and should be. This is the great drama. In a sense, the one great drama that there is. Whether a tree will become what it should be is interesting. It's not a great drama. The angel's lot has already been cast. All eyes of the universe, most of all, God's loving eyes, are on us. We have the dramatic situation, the only creatures now after the angels, the only creatures who have it in our control, in our own power, to choose to say no to the order of God. Absolutely no other creature, again, taking the angels have already cast their lot, can choose to say no to the loving plan of God. Of course, the flip side is we can choose to say yes. But what we particularly want to focus on here is the beauty of the plan of how there is this great order. This is great what we'll call order of nature, an order that reason can discover. We take as a given here. We're not, we're not stepping back and going into how do we know that there is that order there. For our purposes here, we're taking it for granted. You and I know. We know for sure by faith. It can also be known by natural reason, but we're not addressing that at the moment. We know with certitude that there is a great truth. There is a great order of how human beings should live what our life should look like. This order, we can say, is an order to the end of our happiness, of our complete fulfillment, of our living for the glory of God, of our being, in a sense, the glory of God in our lives, the glory of God, man fully 
alive, as St. Irene Irenaeus said and Pope St. John Paul II liked to quote. There is this great order that is given, then the great drama. Will we see it? Will we make it our own? But here's what we particularly focused on last week. Not only are we to see it and make it our own in this action, and then in this action, and then in this action, but we are to make it so our own that it becomes, as it were, a second nature to us. And this, I, I, I want you again to picture the beauty of what this means that this true order, the truth of that to which we are called, that which we are called to be, that order has been so deeply impressed in the powers of our soul, yea, even you can say in our very bodies, that we are, as it were, in a kind of incarnation of that order we exemplify then in our lives this truth of what God has made us for. So you see, it, it's, it's much more than simply we keep choosing to do the right thing. We have become something incredibly beautiful, incredibly noble, that the truth has been, again, as it were, infleshed in us and flows out of us in good actions. This is what it means to have become habitually good or to have formed virtues. So the first key step here is to have that firmly in mind that this is what the goal is. And the nice thing, we'll talk about this a little bit more as, as we go along, is we know that this can be done. We've seen it. And this is why the church is always so, so diligent in wanting to bring before our attention and in reminding us to bring before our attention images of those who have succeeded so we can see what it looks like and know what to pattern ourselves after. We are to become that, not just, again, perform this kind of action and this kind of action and this kind of action but to perform them in the way that virtuous people do, because we too have become this and have embodied it. And a beautiful aspect of this is for a certain number of people around us, for a certain number of people in the places that we work, on the street that we live on, in the stores where we shop, a certain number of people, we might reasonably ask this, when or where will they ever see the truth of the calling that is their calling too, the human calling to greatness? When will they ever see it, perhaps, unless they see it, again, embodied in our life? This is what it means to have become virtuous. In a sense, we are the living witness. And really, at the end of the day, what other witness is there to 
the truth of what God wants, intends, asks, demands in love of every one of us. So there's, uh, there's this extra beautiful, and I suggest, burden upon us of not only do we owe it to God and owe it to ourselves, but we owe it to those around us to become virtuous for how many people will see what they are called to be by seeing us embody that truth of the order to human happiness. There is no arguing with true happiness alive. There is no arguing with that. People will see it and they'll know it by a voice that God has put inside of them. They can see, just as you and I can see when we see it, what we were made for. We'll come back to that. Let's look, in my plan here is to go through different powers of the soul, kind of different aspects of who we are, and in each of those cases, just be looking with an eye to how can we try to take concrete steps to have the order of reason be put deeply therein. How can we try to have good actions, the truth of who we are called to be, become more deeply impressed in us? And again, the way I'm going to do it is by just going through the different major powers or aspects of human nature, and in each case, make a few suggestions of how we might try to do this. So I start with intellect or reason. After that, I'm going to go on to the will, imagination, and body, and then wrap up by saying a few things about supernatural charity. So intellect or reason, then a few words about the will, the power of imagination, the body, and then I'm going to end with a supernatural note, talking about the great supernatural habit, the virtue of charity. So intellect or reason, this of course is the power that governs human actions by directing them. It is our reason that is to see the truth and direct our actions. So we first of all need to form our reason so that it sees the truth of what we're supposed to be. We first of all have to have a clear conception, again, of what the good life is, of what good actions are and what actions are not good. What do we need to do in order to do that? Well, we need to study. If we're going to fulfill our vocation, especially, I'd say, in the day and age where we are, where in many ways we don't get much help from those around us, we need to study. We need to study scripture. We need to be turning to great theologians. We need to be turning to great philosophers. We need to be reading the saints. We need to be reading documents of the church. Frankly, ladies and gentlemen, we need to be doing what we're doing tonight. What we're doing right now is we're taking the time to inform ourselves so we understand better what we're supposed to become. And so again, I, I say I'm so glad that you're here and that we're here together. For what more important thing could we be doing than thinking about forming our understanding so we have a clear vision of what order we should be putting into our lives? Because we need to understand it first. If only you knew 
the gift of God, said our Lord to the Samaritan woman, if only you knew the gift of God, perhaps then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. We need to know, first of all, what we're after, and so to know it, we need to study it. Another suggestion in how we can come to know it better is we need to be having good conversations about these things, maybe with other people who are here tonight, or maybe we take these points home and we look further into them. But a very important way to continue our study in a different kind of study is by having good conversations. And this is great here to have good friends with whom we can do this. One of my favorite quotations from Socrates I actually shared on my website just a few days ago is the following, which is from the great dialogue of Plato called The Apology. Socrates said, it is the greatest good for a man to discuss virtue every day and those other things about which you hear me conversing and testing myself and others. This was when Socrates was on trial and he was giving an account for what he does. It's the greatest good for a man. Now, that might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but note the great truth there. It's the greatest good for a man to discuss virtue every day. Here was Socrates, who pretty clearly was a virtuous man. Isn't it interesting? He clearly didn't think. He understood well enough yet what virtue is and how you form it. So he thought he needed to keep talking about it every single day so they could understand better both what it is and how to do it. We'll never, ever have exhausted in this life the issue of how can we become better, how can we do better in this whole virtue thing. Thus, intellect. Ladies and gentlemen, we know that seeing the truth is critical, but seeing the truth is not enough. We can spend a lot of time forming our understanding, but understanding what we should do is never quite enough. And that's why we also have to go on and look at the next key power here, the will, the, the power that fundamentally chooses how we are going to act is going to have to be developed also. Understanding does have to come first, otherwise we won't know what we should choose. But we're going to have to, if we're going to develop the virtues, we're going to have to will to act well. We're going to have to will to act according to the understanding that we have come to. In other words, when you say will in a sense, what we're really just saying is this. We're going to have to really want to do it. It's so easy to say this. It's another thing to bring it about. St. Augustine, I like to think about on this score, he was such a master of thinking about the will and going inside the experience of the will and realizing there's willing and then there's willing. You can want it, but do you want it enough? What do we need to do to make ourselves to form ourselves, to draw ourselves as it were, to coax ourselves to really want something. Well, here's, here's, there's a lot that might be said here, just a couple quick suggestions. Let's begin with something that is directly in our power. 
something that we could do tonight with our wills, that's directly in our power. What if we make a firm resolution? Resolutions are a matter of the will. If we say, I firmly resolve, that basically means we're firmly choosing to do something. That's something that the will does. What if we make a firm resolution with our will right now to set forth in the path of forming the virtues? I, I know that almost sounds, that's too obvious, why do you even mention that? But let me, let me say it again, though. Here, we're, we're studying these things. This, this sounds great. This is something I want to do. It's an extremely important step to simply stop. And, 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 and honestly, I don't mean to be pedantic. You can do it yourself in the middle of the lecture. There's no timing necessary on this. You don't have to wait. I'll do this when I get home. <laughs> the, this is a great thing about being a spiritual being. You can do all kinds of cool things right now, and no one's ever going to be any the wiser for it. We have no idea what's going on inside someone's head right now. You might well have just performed an amazingly noble act and just said, by golly, I will to do that. That's to take a very serious step, especially... If you're serious, you can just say, I will it. I can't necessarily say what I'm going to do 10 minutes from now. I can't necessarily say what's going to be the case tomorrow morning. But by golly, right now, I will to set forth, to form these virtues, to have that order that I see more deeply imbued in my powers. I will it. I intend it. I set it as something that I will direct my action to. That is always in our power to start again and to make a strong act of the will right here and now. So let's make that a conscious object of my intention. I will to be virtuous. I don't just will to do the right kinds of actions, I will to do them habitually. I will that, that I become the kind of person that will always and reliably choose these things. And I will to take the steps that are necessary to do it. And, and we honestly are well on our way. It seems to me that, that and from the supernatural viewpoint, God is going to bless that. And just naturally speaking, we have started right there already to groove. Interestingly, that is to begin already to have a virtuous habit because it is a virtuous habit to consistently will to be virtuous. Not neat. And there it is. And we can just set forth to do that. Isn't it interesting also, if we really will it, I'm going to come back and end by saying a key in this whole, whole project, of course, is going to be to pray for it also. But note how particularly as Christians, when we really strongly will something, it should naturally immediately follow from that, that we ask God for what we will. So we'll find ourselves praying that we become virtuous. Have we asked God for that? Have we asked him for the gift of our becoming virtuous? That certainly is certainly worth our doing. 
We can make an explicit act of the will each morning, perhaps. We can make a point of doing that. It's actually very similar to what a morning offering is. Not sure what's going to happen later today, but right now I say I will to do the following things. I will to set myself on this path and going in that direction. Another point that St. Thomas loves, that I love, is how powerful habitual good intentions are. And here I want to, I'm going to do this, help paint a picture again of what we're after here in becoming virtuous. I am trying to form an habitual good intention that will become so strong that it will always be at work in my life even when I'm not thinking about it. See, this is the thing. Given the human condition, we're not always going to be stopping and reflecting on what we do. That's why the times that we do stop and reflect, such as now, are so important and it's so meaningful if we do say, well, I resolve right now to do such and such. I want to, here's an example, and it's actually St. Thomas's example. It's a really beautiful one. I will that everything I do with my body serve higher spiritual goods. I will that everything I do with my body serve higher spiritual goods. St. Thomas suggests that we try to make that a habitual intention. And the way to begin is just to focus on it and to say, I will this. And then we come back again and we remind ourselves of that. Here's the neat thing. Give again a sense of the beauty of what we're after here. He points out, to the extent that we begin to succeed in doing that, he says, then actually, every time you do anything kind of with or for your body, that would include something like brushing teeth, you're doing something where the power of that good habitual intention will be at work. So he says that thing that you are doing that looks like it's just taking care of your body, because you habitually intend that your body serve higher goods, anything you do, he says, to take care of your body is now brought under that intention and is a virtuous action because you are habitually intending that everything you do with your body be unto spiritual virtuous goods, then this is the case even if you're not thinking about it, even if you're not conscious of it. So I'd like to just quickly give you a quick image. It's coincidental. I just happen to be looking at this point in St. Thomas today with my ethics class. And I use this example, which I quickly want to throw before you. Consider, call me old-fashioned for, for using this example, but pardon me, I'm going to do it anyway. I want you to consider a housewife, a mother, who regularly is in the kitchen. And one of the things that she does regularly is she peels potatoes. And there she is peeling potatoes. And interestingly, 
you wouldn't think this, but one of the objections in the article that we're reading in St. Thomas points out, don't we often do actions where there really isn't any consciousness of higher goods as you're doing them? Though it's still a voluntary human action, you're not really conscious of higher goods as you're doing them. So are these goods really, are these actions really virtuous actions? And St. Thomas answers. And I, I, peeling potato would be a great example. To the extent that you habitually are ordering what you do with your body to the higher goods, then that habitual intention is at work here. And this little action right here, he says, is a beautiful and good action. For you habitually are all about the higher things. And I just think of that good, of that good woman as she's peeling those potatoes, even if she's not thinking about anything other at the moment than, am I going to have enough salt for these potatoes? Or have I put in enough salt to the water yet? Even that's all that she's thinking at the moment. Think of the power of habitual good intention that can be at work here. I love my husband. I love my children. I want them to be nourished. I want them to be happy. I want them to be holy. And what I'm doing right now is a part of that. You don't have to think it, but if it's become habitually our disposition that we put the first things first and order all things to it, that is a beautiful action. This is the power of habitual intentions that we can be cultivating together. Final point on the will, and we go on to, to imagination. Intensity, intensity of willing can be cultivated. I'm just going to say, be intense. Be intense in willing of the good. Here's a, I'm, I'm uh, referred to the first quotation on the handout here. It's a quotation from a text where St. Thomas is talking about how actions form habits and increase habits. And he's going to make a reference to what I just referred to, intensity. So I'm going to just read this with you. But since use of habits depends on the will, as was shown above, just as one who has a habit may fail to use it or may act contrary to it, so may he happen to use the habit by performing an act that is not in proportion to the intensity of the habit. Accordingly, if the intensity of the act corresponds in proportion to the intensity of the habit, or even surpass it, every such act either increases the habit or disposes to an increase thereof. All right, pause. I know that, that was a mouthful, but it's not as difficult as it sounds. What he, the question was, if I'm trying to form a habit, and I'm beginning to form a habit of some good action, does every time I do that action again, does that actually increase the habit? Here's an interesting way that he puts it. He says, well, as long as it is done with the intensity of the habit that already exists, if it's done with equal or greater intensity, then your habit will be getting better 
it will be increasing by every single action that you do with intensity. If you do an action less well, that's not going to increase your habit. But if you do it with a great intensity, that is going to increase your habit. There's, there's a couple other things going on there, but the thing that I want to focus on particularly is this is something very much in our power. As it were, focus, and we say to ourselves, I want to do this well. I really want to do this well. That in itself is to act with a certain intensity and will make the habit grow more strong simply by our, as it were, choosing to will it more intensely. That's a couple of reflections on will and growing in good habits. Imagination. Imagination is a central power to us rational animals. Ladies and gentlemen, angels don't have imagination. Imagination has no role in their life. Imagination is the power literally of picturing, of, of bodily images. What is the role of imagination? Well, it is abs absolutely central. Here I'm going to turn to a quick point from psychology. I was really struck by this. And a psychologist I know was explaining a simple point about children. If a child, for instance, is walking next to the water, you do not say to the child, careful, don't fall in. For why? The, the, a very simple way of putting it is you have just called up an image in the child's imagination of falling in. And interestingly, they point out also that the negative of, don't, of don'ts that doesn't really come with an image. So what you just, you just threw at them is kind of falling in. <laughs> so that's, that's not to be suggested, all right? So rather, you know, something as simple as, you know, you know, steady as she goes on the shore. Well, that's not a good thing to say to a child. Um, <laughs> let, let me rephrase that. All right. You know what I'm saying. Something like, you know, keep walking on that grass. You know, just, 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 just something that's very, that's very simple to picture. All right, so simple psychological principle that is very helpful in trying to form good habits. Picture them. Imagine what, what we're trying to form looks like, and that helps us go after it. I, I, I dare say I'd, I'd go even so far as to say this. I know this might sound silly, but I think that, I think that you'll agree that this, this can be reasonable. Um, pretend to already be virtuous. Think about that for a moment. Is this, is, is this silly? So I'm trying to grow in courage. Well, I'm going to pretend I already am. And picture that. Run the drill of what it would look like for me to already be courageous. Then I start to see what it looks like, what me being courageous looks like. What me being chaste looks like.
what me being very kind to this person looks like. Bear in mind, the opposite of this is, 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 is very important. You know, sometimes we indulge our imagination. We're really angry at somebody, and so we picture ourselves chewing that person out. That's not good because it's, it's, we're patterning it. We're patterning what we're going to do. So to, to control the imagination, again, sometimes it's very much in our power. At times it's going, to be, it's going to be very difficult, but times just to stop and to take the opportunity to say, how can I form images for myself of what it looks like to have this virtue, to what it looks like to have that virtue, what it looks like to have that virtue. Let's broaden that out and say this. More broadly, let's form our imagination with good things. I love this topic. We could talk about this for a long time, and I'm going to talk about it for another 52 seconds, and that's all. <laughs> what are a few things that we can do to form our imagination well? Keep good company. Just we have good images of good people doing good things. Keep good company. Read great literature. Read great stories. Watch a truly inspiring movie. These things are all directly affecting the store of images that we have in our imagination. And just like I was saying earlier, remember how we can witness, we can be that witness of, of the good life to someone where they can see in us the good life, or something of the good life in any case, and there'll be something in them that says, yeah, I want that. Well, it, it's the same for us. All that we can do to bring before us images of good things will tend to move us. There are those good natural desires that God has given us and everybody else that we, we need to know how to cultivate these things. Bring out our own good desires by bringing before us the images that inspire us. The more that you're around, if you happen to have the opportunity to be a teacher, the more you're around young people, sometimes you realize, you know, it's really rather straightforward. If you get a little practice out of it by the grace of God, you, you start to develop ways of being able to just paint a picture for them. And then you look out there at them, and, and their eyes are just wide, with, and, and you can see into them, and you see what's going on in them. They're saying, I want to do that. Just because you've brought before them what it looks like. Very often it's, it's a concrete image. It's a someone doing something very beautiful. Maybe at great sacrifice. And just the seeing of it. You, you, get a, you get a zing down your spine and you just have this sense of, by golly, I'm going to be like him. We cannot underestimate. We have to be putting ourselves in circumstances where we're seeing that to inspire ourselves to do it. How we imagine things will very much affect what we want, what we will, how we think, and thus what happens before I go on to now the body. Here, <clears throat> I just I wanted to share with you here, and I, I, I think at times it's good to, to bear in mind the age that we live in and certain challenges that particularly are, are, are particularly challenges in our age, but of course they've always been challenged here. I'm going to say something about the virtue of temperance. 
And I have a quotation for you in the third quotation on the handout. This is from St. Thomas's commentary on St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's on the beautiful section, the chapter 6, about spiritual warfare. And this is St. This is Thomas unfolding the point that St. Paul says about girding on the belt. And here St. Thomas explains what he thinks St. Paul means with this quotation. In spiritual warfare, it is first necessary to check carnal desires. Carnal just meaning bodily. Just as the nearest enemy must be conquered first. This is done by bridling the loins in which sensuality thrives. Such girding is done through temperance, which is opposed to sensuality and gluttony. So here, St. Paul talks about girding on a belt for spiritual warfare. And the neat thing is what St. Thomas says is, he says, you know what that belt is? He says that belt which goes around the middle of your body, he says that's the belt of temperance. Says the middle of your body is the seat of your, the main bodily desires. Desire for food and sexuality, kind of in the middle of the body. So he says when St. Paul talks about girding on the belt for spiritual warfare, what he's saying is we have to gird our loins with the virtue of temperance, which restrains, which checks by putting order into these bodily desires. There's a very beautiful point here that's worth our spending a bit more time on than we're, than we're going to, is in fact, bear this in mind, virtue is not just saying no to bad desires, ultimately to be developing the virtue of temperance as almost, I'll say, fantastic in the sense of beyond this sounds. Developing the virtue of temperance means literally transforming our desires, putting the order of reason into our bodily desires themselves. So that our bodily desires, you ready for one of my favorite lines in all of Aristotle? In the temperate man, the man who has not just not just stopped himself from doing bad things, but has ordered his bodily desires, put the order of reason into them. Aristotle has this great line to say. In the temperate man, his bodily appetite and his reason speak with one voice. His bodily appetite and his reason speak with one voice. That's very difficult for most of us to even picture. But that is the full virtue of temperance, that the order of reason has been put into our bodily appetites. That is our goal. And there is much that needs to be done there. Just a couple quick, couple quick suggestions on becoming temperate, on developing this virtue. 
there has to be the negative side. The negative side of saying no, and here I'm going to mention particularly protecting the imagination. We have to say no to a whole set of things that we know are going to inflame our disordered desires, whether it's about in the realm of food or the realm of sexuality. The realm of sexuality is kind of an easier example to use, but it applies, it applies to both. We need to be protecting our imagination from the kind of images that we know are going to inflame our desire. Here, ladies and gentlemen, and this is, this is very challenging, but, but think about this. Think how, thinking in terms of our topic of tonight, developing virtues, developing a habit, transform, deep transformation. I think that gives us a new standard by which to consider a, a number of things. Let me tell you the type of things that come, discussion that comes up around Christendom. Serious people asking the right question, things like, should I go to this movie or not? But, but, but watch, two different ways you might consider that question. Should I go to this movie or not? One might take the approach of, am I strong enough to go to a movie that I know will have bad things, but if I'm strong enough to resist the temptation, then that's okay. Right? That, that's one approach. But is that the approach that one takes if one's goal is the virtue, as opposed to if we think the goal is just don't sin, just don't do a bad action? then maybe that approach would be acceptable and even make sense. But if the goal is the transformation, then we, we apply a different rule, a different measure, different rubric, and we say to ourselves, will going to this movie aid me in the project of growing in temperance? That's a different question. It's a different question than simply Will I perform a bad action or not? We are going for the full transformation. On the positive side, this is, this is a tricky one. In general, ladies and gentlemen, good habits, virtues, are formed by practicing the good action. Once I got, I, I, I'll always remember this question that a very earnest student asked me after having talked about the virtue of chastity, which is a part, chastity is just the part of temperance that deals with sexuality. So the student said, if you get virtues by practicing doing the good action, how do you practice chastity? <laughs> if you're, in any case, if you're not married, what, what, what do you do? Because isn't the point to put the order of reason into the, fundamentally, the sexual power. But we put the order of reason into it. But how do you put the order of reason into it when you're just given the big no? That's a tough question. And I have a very quick thought for you, and then we will roll onward. My response, think about how good it is to be chased. Think about how good it is, in whatever state of life we are, to be chaste. What if, if I am young and unmarried, what's the positive thing, other than just saying no to bad things, what's the positive thing I can do? I can think about the nobility of the procreative power that God has given me and the beauty 
of preserving it. And it seems to me that that is a positive practice. To think about the nobility and the beauty of this power and why because of its nobility and beauty I will not use it unless I'm married. But that's a beautiful and positive thing. And you know, those are who are in the celibate state could, could speak about this much better than I can, but I just thought, what about being in the remarkable situation of being a man or a woman who says, I think about the beauty and nobility of the procreative power I have that in God's providence I have totally given back and as regards the bodily procreative power I will never use. And isn't that beautiful? That's certainly something that some very important people such as, can you imagine being St. Joseph. <laughs> what a manly man. And do you think he didn't understand? He was in a better position. He was not unmanly for knowing, knowing as a young man too, he'd never do certain things with a beautiful power that God had given him. And was that ugly? Was that negative? Or could he look at that and say, thank you, Lord? We need to run that kind of drill, I'm just suggesting, on the positive side. That's not something negative. And that helps us develop the positive habit of temperance. All right. Now, Finally, I want to say something that, that wraps up on what I wanted to say about the body. Well, actually, well, uh, I'll say and then I won't, I, I won't say it. I also wanted to sig how, suggest um, how trying to have healthy bodily habits actually can fit well. Thank you. Healthy bodily habits can fit well with the project of growing in virtue. I'll just throw that out and something we can talk about the question and answer if you want to or something you can think about and talk amongst, your, amongst yourselves. Here's the key I would suggest. If, you, if we're working on bodily health, make it be fundamentally about virtue. Our body at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, is only important in view of how it serves more ultimate things. Our body should be important in the context of our trying to become virtuous. If we are trying to become more bodily healthy, it should be, I suggest, because we want to be virtuous. But that's a good reason to want to be healthy. Health is a good thing. And it's good to try to be healthy in the context of trying to grow in virtue. Sometimes God doesn't grant that health. But it's good to seek health, but in the context of growing in virtue. And a lot of the practices that are actually healthy for us are also ones that are spiritually good for us, a kind of reserve in our eating and our willingness to make a certain ex effort as regards exercising. And just throw that out. That can be a beautifully integrated thing 
of trying to take good care of our bodies precisely unto growing in virtue. Just a quick suggestion there. Supernatural charity. Ladies and gentlemen, here we have a unique reality. Here we have a virtue that is, first of all, not developed by our own actions. We have a virtue that is so high that it can only be had if God gives it to us. We only have supernatural charity if we have been baptized and received it as a gratuitous gift. But it's this gratuitous gift we have that then becomes a principle of our operations. It's, it's an amazing thing. It's, it's hard to even understand this. But this is what the church says, that at baptism we get these supernatural habits of faith, hope, and charity that then are there present for us ready to start to practice we already have a habit infused by God that then we start to exercise. But then our very exercise of it is a development of it. And I, I just let's quickly look at the bottom quotation on your front page, whether charity increases through every act of charity is this question, that article there in this beautiful question on, the, on, on supernatural charity, and St. Thomas's answer is basically yes. And, and let, let's jump down to the uh, four lines up from the bottom in the name of time here. In like manner, charity does not actually increase through every act of charity, but each act of charity disposes to an increase of charity insofar as one act of charity makes a man more ready to act again according to charity, and this readiness increasing, man breaks out into an act of more fervent love and strives to advance in charity, and, this, and then his charity increases actually. There's, there's a bit going on there. The main thing that I want to focus on there is this this virtue that is most like unto God, supernatural charity is literally a power of loving like God does. That's why it is a, a habit that could only be given by him, for it is a kind of participation in his own love. Spiritual masters say the perfection of the spiritual life is to become perfect in supernatural charity, and it's a virtue. It is a habit, though a supernaturally infused one. So it, 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 it works, it moves on a different plane. But there still is this fundamental aspect of if we want to grow in it, we should be looking to exercise it. We want to exercise supernatural charity so that we grow in supernatural charity. And the main thing I want to be suggesting is let's make it an object of our intention. Lord, increase my supernatural charity. Help me. I intend to act it out so that I become more fervently so. Also, it is worth our noting, and that's why I put on the second page there a couple of quotations from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just read the first one. Bottom line here saying how the sacraments are a cause of increase of grace which means it's going to be an increase in supernatural charity. Celebrated worthily in faith, I'm in 1127. Celebrated worthily in faith, the sacraments confer the grace that they signify. 
They are efficacious because in them Christ himself is at work. It is he who baptizes, he who acts in the sacraments in order to communicate the grace that each sacrament signifies. The Father always hears the prayer of his Son's church, which in the epiclesis of each sacrament expresses her faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. As fire transforms into itself everything it touches, so the Holy Spirit transforms into the divine life whatever is subjected to his power. Bottom line there, just we couldn't go through an evening talking about the virtues and our, how we can go about growing in them with at least noting the highest of virtues. This theological virtue, charity, is fundamentally something that's a gift from God that this is why going to the sacraments regularly is a great way of increasing, deepening our spiritual life. For it is a way of having God give us, imbue in us, more supernatural charity. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to end by saying, at the end of the day, it is a matter of charity. This whole project of growing in virtue is fundamentally a project of supernatural charity. It is a project of growing in love. And my main suggest, my, probably my main final suggestion, what do we do if we want to grow in love? Love is something that to a certain extent, on a natural level, is in our control to a certain real extent. If we want to fall in love, we put ourselves in the presence of the beloved. If we want to fall in love with the good life, put ourselves in the presence of those living the good life. Most of all, if we want to fall in love with God, we put ourselves in his presence. And we will fall in love with him. And we can pray or increase our faith, increase our hope and charity, increase all our virtues. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you. Thank you very much. I have been thinking, Professor Cutterback, ever since the last lecture about, well, was Thomas Aquinas, he was in a very Catholic culture, and, um, you know, I mean, I know he was well-born and all that. What about the little kid in Africa who doesn't have, who isn't, maybe he's somewhere where they're fighting, and they, I mean, he has no examples of virtue. Has he got a chance of becoming the virtuous man? I mean. Good, good, good question. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, am I on? If you were to ask Aristotle that, I I Aristotle would have said, it's looking pretty bleak. <laughs> and, and, and here's the thing, would you blame him for that? We, we are, prof I, I, I quoted last time his line on, it makes all the difference how we're raised. And, and, and this is the thing. I, I think it's important for us as Christians not to say, oh, well, <laughs> we don't have to worry about that anymore. I mean, this is serious. This is part of the reason the church is, has a real sense of urgency of bringing the truth. That people need to hear 
the truth of what they're called to be. And in the absence of hearing that and seeing that, it, 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 to a certain extent, I'm going to say, they're in God's mercy. And, and, and let's commend them to God's mercy. Who knows what might happen next, next week or next year, how there might be, what might yet come to them. But obviously, faith comes by hearing. So they need to hear. They need to hear. So there's, there's much to pray for there. Uh, what virtues will we need in heaven, and uh, uh, are there some of them that are only needed on earth? In fact, great question. Mo most of them, well, um, faith and hope you will not need anymore, right? But charity endures. Um, St. Thomas asks explicitly, what, what, what about the other ones? Um, are there, there can be, there's virtues where some of it will remain. For instance, justice. Justice where we render what is due to people. There still will be a real aspect of rendering what is due in heaven. So, so that can carry over. Now temperance, when the, you know, the powers that temperance directly has to do with are not going to be engaged anymore in the same way, then that's not going to be at issue so much. So it, so it, does, it, it, it varies a bit. On the, with the theological virtues, it's just charity because faith and hope precisely have to do with being on the way. So there's, there's, more, there's more there, but the, the best answer to that is charity, the highest of virtues now, is in a sense a beginning of what we will do forever in heaven, which is a beautiful, beautiful point to reflect on. Thank you. You mentioned uh, literature in your section on imagination. Much of literature deals with the fallenness of the human condition. How do we explore the fallenness of the human condition without corrupting our imagination? Great, great, great question. And I'd say that this, this takes, to, takes a somewhat nuanced view of literature. There can be great literature that explores the fallen condition, or we say explores evil, but in it, if evil is presented as evil, then that can be something where we really learn, where it's, it's, it's thrown into relief for what it is. And, and that is an important part of our coming to understand good and evil for what they are. So we go on, on, on a, there's, there's nuance to this. It's a great question. I'm, one thing to think about, for instance, as regards children and fairy tales. One thing about fairy tales is, is that good was clearly good and bad, evil, clearly had bad consequences. Right? That, that, in fact, is an important part of forming the moral imagination. Where you have, I, I like to use the example of, there are movies that even now, I mean, I don't watch so many of the movies that come out now, but I, I'm going to go back and you're going you're gonna, to, I'm going to say this real fast, you're going to think this might be silly, but I'm going back to, I remember two movies come to mind because they both have Meg Ryan in them. One was, I think, called You've Got Mail, and the other was Sleepless in Seattle. Am I remembering this rightly? Here's the thing. Come cute, seem to be family-oriented. If I'm not wrong, if, if I'm wrong on this, then take it, it, only put on the shoe if it fits. But wasn't it the case that 
it's fundamentally about divorce and remarriage. And boy, they look happy. That's a problem. There's a lot of art that lies that precisely is using the imagination to, to, with an agenda of making it seem as though here's, here's the good life. And, you, and, and it develops a real sympathy in you. Right? So, so art, art needs, we need to judge it and be aware. Evil is going to be portrayed, needs to be portrayed. But when it is literally glorified and seems to cause happiness, it's actually a lie. I, I, know, I know that was a that was a provocative answer that I gave, but um, to be continued. Thank you for that question. My question confer, uh, regards temperance and gluttony. Yes. Um, I was confused because you you spoke of being sort of acting for health, um, but with the disposition for for the virtue rather than for the health. Um, my understanding would be that that right reason with regard to the physical appetites would be basically, uh, spe specifically food, would be health of the body. So is the virtue of temperance separate from health? Or can, can you speak to that, please? OK. Um, maybe, I, maybe I wasn't very, very clear. Um, the, I would say this. Gluttony is not most of all wrong because it is contrary to bodily health, though it is contrary to bodily health. And I'd say similarly the corresponding virtue, the virtue that has to do with food in St. Thomas's terminology, it's confusing in the text. The, the, the term that's used is abstinence, which now is used to mean something different. But in any case, the virtue that is the virtue having to do with food is not most fundamentally about being healthy. It has a higher end. It's, it's about having food fit in properly to the good life, and that includes proper health, but includes more than that. So, so, so my point there was that we actually are tre treating the body well and most rationally and fittingly when we see health in the higher context of the higher goods that health itself serves. Now, in God's beautiful design, to have the right, to have the virtue as regards food is good for your health, but it's even better than that and for more than that. So just quickly note how the virtue would contribute well to community life and the joys of family life around the table and so forth, which is much more than just bodily health. So the, the virtue is going to be bringing about all those things and that the powers be well ordered so that they not disturb our ability to contemplate. So there's a whole set of things there that's going on that's more than just the bodily health. And so we don't want to just reduce our attention to what we need to do to be bodily healthy. I'm saying we can, we can raise that up into a fuller thing that still gives its due to health. I don't know if that helps a little bit. Thanks for the thanks for the question. Thank you. Thank so much, you. Dr. All right. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the institute and how you may become a part of this important work, 
please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist, pray for us.